Support for this podcast comes from Canva. When you look good, you feel good. But when your presentations look great, it can feel like you're walking on a cloud. You can design stunning work presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos with Canva. Start with a designer-made template. Use it as a springboard for your design. Add images, graphics, charts, and more from Canva's massive media library. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Welcome to the Property Pods Office Hours. This is the part of the show where we answer questions about business, big tech, entrepreneurship, and whatever else is on your mind. If you'd like to submit a question, please email a voice recording to officehours at propertymedia.com. Again, that's officehours at propertymedia.com. First question. Hey, Prof. This is Anthony from Atlanta, now living in Italy. My question is about your 2024 predictions of Meta's growth through WhatsApp. Now living outside of the U.S. myself, I see that WhatsApp is used pretty much everywhere, and I love it. I use it every single day. But when I go back to the States, I notice that basically half the people don't even know what it is, and nobody uses it. In the U.S., we're still so tied to iMessage and just SMS. I wonder if the growth of WhatsApp is going to be limited, despite the fact that there's 3 billion users. I imagine most of that is outside of the U.S. Will that growth be limited to outside the U.S.? Or will Meta make a push to have WhatsApp grow within the U.S.? Which I hope so, because I love it, as long as they do it in a non-nefarious way. Love to hear your thoughts. Thank you. Happy New Year. Ciao from Italia. Anthony from Atlanta, congratulations on the lifestyle arbitrage. I'm fascinated by this notion of arbitraging your quality of life. I invested with this guy who helped me buy some claims against bankrupt uh, crypto platforms, specifically FDX. And he's a super intelligent, smart guy. And he moved his family to this small town in Italy. And he said, okay, imagine a really nice life for 60% off. And I'm just fascinated by that. And I think the two cities that are gonna register the biggest lifestyle arbitrage are Mexico and Madrid. I think I'm meeting a lot of people that are moving to both those nations and with remote work. And it sounds like, I'm curious if you've, if that's what you've done in Italy. And Italy's economy has been so stagnant that it really hasn't had the same sort of price appreciation in real estate that some of the other nations have registered. Okay, back to WhatsApp. As a reminder, Meta acquired WhatsApp for $19 billion in 2014. I don't think we should be talking about whether or not it's a growth issue. I think the issue here is that not that it's not about growth. It's about monetization. With 3 billion people, you don't need growth. I mean, you've kind of got everybody. Effectively, the way I think of WhatsApp is it's the world's largest telco. And when you look at when you look at AT&T and Verizon trading, and I don't know what they trade at, 70 or $100 billion, you think, okay, shouldn't this company be worth more? But what it needs to show is revenue growth. The head of WhatsApp, Will Cathcart, is that his name? Cathcart? Cathcart? I think of catheter. I think of catheter. Anyways, by the way, my dad... Uh, constantly tells me that whoever invented the catheter should get a Nobel Prize. And oh, also, speaking of my father, 93, he has a new friend, new friend, a guy named Max, sent me a picture. Never too old to make more friends as a dude, uh, although it gets harder for us. Uh, and that made me, that literally made my weekend. Anyways, uh, he told the head of 
The head of WhatsApp said the goal is to make WhatsApp a household name. The conversation has moved from WhatsApp as the app I use outside the U.S. when I travel. It's becoming significantly more mainstream. And I agree with that. Uh, how has the app evolved? Features including channels let people follow status updates from influencers and stay on top of news from organizations, including the New York Times. Businesses now have access to paid tools to communicate with customers through the app. And WhatsApp also has one of the world's most used stories products called Status, which allows users to post temporary text, photo, and video updates. The amount of users continues to grow. Now more than 2 billion people use WhatsApp, up from 450 million when the app was acquired. Is it 3 billion or 2 billion? I don't know. I don't know. I thought it was three, but no, this says two. Meta hasn't reported exactly how much revenue WhatsApp generates, but in their Q3 earnings report, they said the family of apps' other revenue was $293 million in Q3, up 53%. But still at $1.2 billion, that's just nowhere near what they get from Instagram and the core platform. And that was driven by revenue growth from their WhatsApp business platform. So I just think you're going to see... I think they're going to figure out advertising and new features, and they're going to start charging for it, and there'll be an outcry from this vocal minority of people who want to make, keep WhatsApp free or get sick of the ads. But I would imagine the data and the GPS location, and if they implement AI and basically they find out that you're using WhatsApp on your way to Italy and they can start sending you ads for cool Italian hotels, and yeah, is it a violation of your privacy? But so what? People have voted with their activity, their time, and their wallets, and that is they're willing to give up a certain amount of their privacy uh, in exchange for utility. And WhatsApp, I would argue, I would argue as a function of utility to lack of monetization or lack of tax on you, that WhatsApp is the mattress in a box company that's giving you a thousand dollar mattress for 300 bucks or when uber was letting you take an escalate to the airport for 18 bucks and it was costing them a hundred whatsapp right now in my view is the most under monetized technology platform in the world and they're going to start to bring that utility in line with its monetization and i think this is going to be one of the most fastest growing revenue lines in technology. WhatsApp is the juggernaut largest telco in the world. It's not about growing the user base, it's about monetization. And I think they're about to turn on those jets. And Mark Zuckerberg um, is arguably, there is no one better in monetizing attention than Mark Zuckerberg. He is the attention wizard, if you will. Thanks for the question. Question number two. Hi, Professor G. I heard your call to action for questions related to things besides career advice. So I have a question about home renovation. I've been in my home for about seven years now. My husband and I bought it off foreclosure. Uh, it had holes in the ceiling and missing plumbing. We did a lot of that renovation work ourselves to fix those things, um, but the house still needs a lot of work. The kitchens and some of the bathrooms are over 20 years old, uh, and the siding and the roof probably need to be redone within the next five to 10 years. Uh, we are, however, in you know one of the best areas for public school in the country, and the house is worth over a million dollars, probably, even in the state it's in. Um, but I'm wondering whether it makes sense for us to put the money in to renovate this house or to move somewhere else that is already done and is going to work better for our family. Thanks for the question. I love this. I don't. I don't talk about this a lot, but... Um, one of my investment strategies, uh, I just didn't know where to put my money last year. And, uh, or for a few years now, I've had such a run up in tech stocks that I think I'm trying to be smarter. I'm trying to not be as concentrated 
in kind of eat my own cooking or take my own advice. And I'm trying to diversify. I'm at a point in my life where if I lose 90% of my net worth, which I have done twice before uh, because I was so over-invested in tech, because that's what I know, I just don't want to go back there. And I'm running out of time to make it back. So I'm trying to diversify. And one of the ways I'm diversifying, and also uh, uh, my second objective is I really want to enjoy my remaining time on this planet. I am 49, or 59, we're just going to say 49. Nancy Reagan here, Nancy Reagan. But I read obituaries. I'm a bit obsessed with death and macabre, but it is sort of a point of inspiration for me, realizing that I believe our time here is finite. So one of my investment strategies is I have been buying homes in really wonderful uh, places. Specifically, and this is not great, but I think income inequality is only get, going to get worse around the world. As someone who studies economics and likes to think they understand trends and demographics, I think governments all over the world have been weaponized by rich people. Rich people have sort of run away with the amount of power they have. We were talking about uh, Bill Ackman as an activist investor going after social issues and how rich people are now filling the void of government simply because lower taxes mean less power to governments and more power to people. But I just see it continuing to get worse. So what does that have to do with real estate? I have bought homes in London, Palm Beach, New York, and Aspen. Uh, kind of what I call a 0.1% uh, real estate strategy, because I think the crazy rich people are only going to get crazier and richer. But what I do is I buy homes that need to be renovated. And I take advantage of another flaw in our species, and that is these homes take, my home in Palm Beach took three years to renovate, and it takes capital. I have capital, and also I have patience. One of the best ways to build wealth for a family and a couple, if you have some capital, is to buy a place, fix it up, sell it. And because if you're married, you get up to 500000 The first $500,000 in gains are tax-free, which is incredible as long as you own it for two years, and then wash, rinse, and repeat. So I go, I, I'm doing what you do. I'm doing, I buy homes, I fix them up, and then I get to enjoy them for a little while. And then ideally, I'm going to sell them. Generally, what I have found, generally what I have found is it goes to specifically to your question, that you are better off staying and fixing it up and making it buyer-ready and then either selling it or staying there and enjoying it and um, enjoying your life, if you will. Why? Because $100,000 of well-spent renovation will usually get one hundred and fifty to maybe even 200000 in incremental value. And that is there are a lot of people out there. People have more money than time right now across America, especially at a home that's a million dollars. And that is people would rather pay a hundred or two hundred grand more than do that shit themselves. They don't want to wait a year or two years to fix up, fix the plumbing. Typically, the best return on investment, the best return on investment is investments in kitchen and bathrooms. But you should absolutely, unless I'm missing something here, maybe even take out a second if you need the money. Uh, interest rates are starting to come down and be on site actively manage, hire, and fire those contractors and show up and ask why the tile and the seam on the soapstone on your kitchen counter isn't perfect. Be on site, be all over your vendors, price them out. You're just, there's nothing like an owner at the home managing vendors and service people to get good work at a good value in my view. We have one quick break before our final question. Stay with us. When your work presentations and docs look good, you look good. You can design stunning work presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos with Canva. You can start with a designer-made template, then use that as a springboard for your design. Add images, graphics, charts, and more from Canva's massive media library. Or get a huge head start with AI-powered Canva presentations and docs. 
Just describe what you want with a few words and Canva will generate amazing slides and text in seconds. It's AI that anybody can use, no matter what department you work in or whatever work task you need to get done. Look, we all need to visually communicate at work. Canva makes it easy to get your point across while looking professional. And at the end of it all, that stunning Canva presentation is going to make you look good. Wow any audience and finish your work faster. Start designing today at canva.com. Design for work. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Support for this show comes from NetSuite. If you own a business, money is often at the top of your mind. How to save it, how to spend it, how much you need, how much you don't need. But simple math will tell you that the less your business spends on operations, the more margin you have to keep the money you've earned. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is a leading cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash prof. netsuite.com slash prof. netsuite.com slash prof. Welcome back. Question number three. Hey, Prof G. My name is Amir. I live in New Hampshire. I don't recall if you have any siblings. I think you've spoken about a sister once or twice, but my question is about the obligation of siblings to each other financially. You've been eloquent and open about your relationship with your mom and your dad, and your views on them are quite clear. Uh, what is your point of view about the obligation to look after your less fortunate siblings financially? My wife and I are both successful uh, and financially secure, but have siblings who have not been as fortunate. We often feel torn in terms of having more versus our siblings. We do help them, but probably not to the extent that we could. Would love to hear how you think about this issue. Thanks. Big fan of the shows. All of them. I love this question. Um, people talk about sex now very openly. People talk about political rifts. They talk about mental illness. They talk. I mean, there are very few taboos anymore. One taboo, people don't talk about money. They don't talk about openly and honestly, how much they have and how it's, or don't have, how it's impacting their relationships, their marriage. And I think it's important to uh, talk openly about money. This is a deeply personal question. And I think it's something that uh, I don't think there is a right way. I think there's just got to be your way uh, and what you and your wife feel comfortable with. My drive for money, uh, it's all about women. When I was younger, I figured out that guys with money were able to attract a broader selection set of mates. And I wanted to be one of those people. I wanted above, I wanted to find someone more interesting and better looking than me. And that man is a guy 
you had to find, you had to make money. And then the the real motivation for making money and the, the requirement and the sacrifice required to make a lot of money was I wanted to take care of my mom. And I financially support my father, not because he doesn't have money, but he has such a weird relationship with money that the idea of him telling him he's now sp spending money on his assisted living facility would just freak him out so much. It would cause him so much stress and agita that um, I, it's easier for me just to pay for it. And my relationship with my sister, my sister is very successful financially. Her and her husband are successful. Um, but on occasion, I have given, um, I don't wanna say help them because they never ask and they don't need help, but I will do stuff for them that involves involves money. And I do it for me. I just find it uh, so rewarding. Uh, it makes me feel strong. It makes me feel masculine. There's probably a power dynamic there, which is, I, I don't think I demand any, I don't think I use it for control. But I, I'm doing a lot of virtue signaling right now here, but I, anyways, I'm going to. I spoke to a former employee of mine that used to work with me at L2, and she's going through a lot, dying mother, new job, two kids, you know, typical sandwich generation that kind of falls to the woman who's both working, taking care of aging parents and kids. And she was just this star at uh, this company uh, at L2. And just in the middle of the conversation, I said, would it help if I gave you some money? And I know how crass and weird that sounds, but I find that money is nothing but the transfer of work and time to people. And what more wonderful thing to give to people you care about than work and time and money and make their life a little bit easier? So I'm blessed in that my sibling is really successful, so she's never needed money. But I like, on occasion, having the opportunity to give money. I think it's incredibly rewarding. And to, to have money and financial security in our society is to have people want to help your kids. It's to give you health care. It's to create more options for you. So to a certain extent, to have money in America is to be loved. So to a certain extent, if you can give money to people and help them, you know, you're sort of, I think it's sort of an expression of love, if you will. They say, don't lend money to friends or whatever. I think that's total bullshit. But just some best practices or what I'll call my practices. I don't loan money. Um, actually, it's not, not true. A friend of mine just brought a million bucks for me. That's not true. But he's, this is to renovate a house. I'll get it back. He lent me a million dollars about 10, 15 years ago. So it was just the right thing to do. In general, though, when my friends are not doing well, or I have an opportunity, I don't loan it, I give it. Uh, I don't give them money that would have an impact on my life. None of this money, I assume I will never get it back. I don't wanna resent them. I don't want them to feel, I don't want it to strain the relationship. So if you're in a position, and this is a position of privilege, but if you're in a position to help your siblings, what I would suggest is you come up with a reason to give them the money. You know, you can give away up to, I think it's $15,000 or $16,000 as a gift with no taxable ramifications to them. So to say to them, look, we've had a great year. Would it help if we gave you, and you could give up to, if there's four of you, uh, $64,000, I believe, tax-free to them. What I would not do is start giving them money regularly because you don't want them to become dependent upon it. I'm not even saying do it for them. Do it for yourself. It feels just fucking awesome. Thanks for the question. That's all for this episode. Again, if you'd like to submit a question, please email a voice recording to officehours at propgmedia.com.
This episode was produced by Caroline Chagrin. Jennifer Sanchez is our associate producer, and Drew Burrows is our technical director. Thank you for listening to the Prop G Pod from the Vox Media Podcast Network. We will catch you on Saturday for No Mercy, No Malice, as read by George Hahn, and on Monday with our weekly market show. Thanks to Canva for their support. You're busy, there's no denying that, and we all wish for just a little more time in the day. So why not let Canva help you get your work done faster and more efficiently? You can get started with their AI-powered presentations. Just describe what you want with a few words, and Canva will generate amazing slides in seconds. It's AI that anybody can use, no matter what department you work in or whatever task you need to get done. Finish your deck faster. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work. This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change, Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, authors, athletes, and everyday people about why we do the things we do. Listen to Choiceology at schwab.com slash podcast or wherever you listen.